0: So we're going to be covering um, John chapter chapter nine today. The Lord put a, a title in my heart when Pastor Manny asked if I would share, and that is uh, seeing life through God's eyes. And, and boy, do we need to do that right now, huh? Um, just all the all the stuff that's been going on. I'm sure many of us have been taking inventory. It's it's not hard. It, you know, we have our own personal. Um, Trials and tribulations that that we're all dealing with in some respects, some heavier and bigger than others, and then we have the trials that just man they just they're just coming like like tidal waves. I was thinking about the beginning of 2020 and and, and you know how it all started with with kobe Bryant's death you know and and, and then from there this this out of nowhere this this pandemic uh, hit us and, and and then the reality of the the shutdown and and, and what that means we're just kind of poking our heads out huh we're just poking our heads out of our our doors we're like like uh, uh, you know Noah kind of sticking his his, his, his uh, head out the window and then boom something else hits us and so it's just been a, a crazy year and, and 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 we really need to reflect we need to come back to uh, the the middle of what it means to, to see Jesus or see life through the eyes of Jesus through the eyes of of God and so we're going We're going to eventually get to John chapter Nine, but I figured that I would kind of do a little bit of a recap in in John chapter eight because it really correlates with, uh, with uh, John chapter nine. Uh, once you have the, 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 the chapter eight in, in, our, in our memory, it helps kind of make sense of uh, all that goes on in John chapter nine. Um, hopefully, as we go through the study we're going to see an outline. Um, verses 1 through 7, we're going to see the sight. And outlines are really just a way to help us kind of remember, right? Help us kind of put a, a handle, like Pastor Matty reminds us, on, on a bag or a suitcase to help us carry it. So verses 1 through 7, we're, hopefully we're going to see the sight. In verses 8 through 17, we're going to see the sign. In verses 18 through 34, we're going to see the sin. And then in verses 35 through 41, we'll see the, the sign. And so just to, to, to recap, really this, this whole section that we're going to cover today begins in, in John chapter 7, with the background being the Feast of, of Tabernacles. Now, what is the Feast of Tabernacles? It's the most joyous feast of all the year for the Jews. It was a celebration that lasted originally seven days, but during the, the days of Jesus, one day was added, so it was eight days. And the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, as it's known, or the Feast of Booths or Sukkot, is the seventh and the last feast that the Lord commanded Israel to observe? It's one of the three feasts where the Jews were to observe every single year, as the Scripture says they were to appear before the the Lord God in the place which He would choose. Right? And it's a it's a reminder. It was a reminder to them, and to this day to the Jews, um, that as a people they once had been homeless. Some of us do that sometimes. Some of you who God has blessed and and been able to have a home now and, 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 you know, have things, God has blessed you with things. Uh, maybe you go back to, you know, your old neighborhood. Maybe you go back to, you know, you point to your children to the car that you used to drive. You see that clunker right there? I used to drive that. That was the first car I ever had. We do that, you know, and this is a way for the Jews to actually look back and remember that time that they spent, you know, wandering in the desert, that time where they spent basically homeless, um, as G. Campbell Morgan put it, wanders in the desert without a roof over their heads. It was a time to remember. That's what the Feast of Tabernacle was all about. It was a culmination of different observances. They also observed uh, you know, the fact that, that the harvest, that God had provided a harvest, not just one harvest, but all the harvests. And they brought the harvest to God. And they, they shared it with each other. The, the Jewish historian Josephus, called it the holiest and greatest, greatest festival among the Jews. There was no rich, there was no poor, there was no servant, there was no master. Everyone took part in the celebration. Boy, wouldn't that be nice today, huh? Everyone was on equal footing, all were the, the same. And so that's the surrounding uh, in, in John, from John 7 all the way to even John chapter 10. But in chapter 8, there's a lot that goes on that correlates with uh, with John chapter 9. Um, some of you guys might be familiar with John chapter 8. Jesus has one of many encounters, uh, sadly, with the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees, as you know, represent the, the religious establishment. They were the, the religious sect of uh, within Judaism in the time of Christ and, and the early church. You see the Pharisees mentioned in, in the New Testament, um, even after the Gospels. They were known for uh, their emphasis on uh, their personal piety. Uh, the word Pharisee actually means separated, and boy, did they take it to heart. They loved to observe rules. They made rules for rules. Um, and, and as they were especially critical of those who didn't keep the rules, which usually they were guilty of. Um, Jesus went as far as calling them whitewashed tombs. And the significance of that was that on the outside they were really clean, but on the inside um, they were wretched. I got a call yesterday as I was studying here uh, from a young girl um, who said, I have a Bible question. I said, okay, Lord, help me. Where's Manny? Um, But she said, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible and i'm confused you know and i said okay sister you, have you received jesus as your lord and savior she says no not yet you know i'm closed and i said okay she said but i have a, a a babysitter uh who who's been walking with the lord for many many years and she's been talking to me i've been telling her that i've been reading the bible that i feel like god is, is drawing me to him reading the gospels she said um, but but she told me something the other day she told me that you know that christians aren't allowed to wear jeans any of you ladies wearing jeans today they're not allowed to wear jeans. Am <laughs> I wearing jeans? Uh, you're not allowed to, to wear makeup. You're not allowed to, to do all kinds of things. And she was bummed out. She was confused, as any of us would be. huh? You know, when when a Christian, especially a baby Christian, or someone that is searching, runs into people like that, even though they might be the the, 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 the most well-intentioned people in the world, They do a lot of harm. They do a lot of harm. And we need to be careful that we're we're not those type of Christians. We need to be careful that we always remember those booths that we once lived in. The fact that we were wanderers in the desert without a roof over our head. Uh, We have to remember that it took time, and it's still taking time, huh, for God to do that work. For some of us, he, he did a work instantly on some things, but there's other things that he's still working on. And I have a feeling that God allows those things to happen so that we can continue to cling and hold on to him. And so I, I, she asked a question about modesty. She said, well, what does it mean to be modest? I said, well, I think, you know, sister, in all honesty, every woman knows what that means. They know what that means. You know, modesty has to do with the, the, the temptation. I said, are you married? She, she said, I am. I said, well, you know, modesty has to do with the fact that you don't call attention to yourself. Only you call attention to your husband. And so after a while speaking to her, I think she calmed down. She understood. I pointed her to the fact that you shouldn't be worried about those verses. You should be focused on the person of Jesus Christ. I, I encourage you, I told her, study him. Focus on him. Don't worry about the rest of the Bible. You'll get to that eventually. Spend all your time in the Gospels. Get to know who Jesus is. She said, well, this lady also says that I shouldn't go do Zumba. And, and I said, well, you know, the uh, sister, you, why are you doing it? And she said, for my health. And I said, I think it's perfectly fine. I said, is there a bunch of guys in there? She said, no, all there is is women. I said, man, go for it. You know, go to town and Zumba. You know, the, the, the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, I think sometimes we do so much harm and, and we need to be careful. The, the Pharisees, they, they love the power that they yielded. They love the power. They, 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 they were enamored with the power that they had. And they saw Jesus as a threat to that power. They saw him as as enemy number one. And so in John 8, it tells us that account that while he was teaching in the temple, he was interrupted by some Pharisees and scribes who dragged a woman caught in adultery. That's how this woman is known. That's how we know the woman caught in adultery. John 8, 4. And so they, 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 they brought the woman to Jesus and they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Peeping Toms, right? Moses, they told them, in the law says that those caught in this act should be stoned. What say you, Jesus? They, they were basically uh, provoking him. They were inviting him to make his move. And, and I can guarantee you that this group didn't care all that much about marriage. They didn't care about fidelity or what infidelity does to a relationship, what it does to the heart of God, what it does to a family. Uh, or else the man who cheated would have been part of the accused. Huh? You didn't see the man who cheated. You just saw the woman. They certainly didn't care about the woman. All she was was a pawn in their scheme to try to put Jesus in a, in a trap, to try to corner him in a the theological corner somehow. In fact, that's what John uh, eight six tells us that, that it was only a test to find something to accuse them with. But I love Jesus because Jesus, knowing the heart, he won up them. He he invited the first who had never sinned, to what, to cast the first stone. Right. Remember, he knelt down on the ground. He started writing something. We're not sure what he was writing, but a lot of people assumed that he was probably writing every one of their sins. And 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 I think that they they. They they took notice of that. Something happened where they noticed that. And one by one, when Jesus says, all right, go for it. Pick up the stone. I invite the first one who's never sinned to be the first. They started leaving. And so we know the story. He looked around. There was no one there. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Where are those who condemn you? Does no one condemn you? And the woman looked around and says, no one, Lord. And Jesus replied, neither do I condemn you. That's something beautiful. That's something that we have to take to heart. Jesus didn't come to condemn us, he came to save us. Another thing that we have to take to heart is that God, he accepts us, he loves us just the way that we are, but he loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us that way. Notice what he told the woman, go and sin no more. And then Jesus made the the third of the seven I am statements, claiming his his deity. It it was exactly the same thing that God um, instructed Moses to tell the Israelites if they asked for his name, God says, tell them that I am that I am. And and, and seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that. Proving without a doubt that he was communicating, I'm God. I'm God. We're told that Jesus spoke to them again, telling them something astonishing. He says, I am the light. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And I think at that point, the Pharisees thought, man, now we have something. We wanted to trap them. We wanted to get them in a the corner. Now we have something. And so they, they told them, you bear witness of yourself, and therefore your witness isn't true. They were sticking these things in their pockets to use later. And so we don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but this started the discussion between Jesus and the Jews, some who believed, some who didn't. Um, I'm, I'm going through this history again because it correlates with John chapter 9. In short, Jesus told those who believe in him, if you abide in my word, and that's so key. Because the title of this study is, How Do We See Life Through God's Eyes? He tells us right here, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's one of the ways that we could see life through God's eyes, is by knowing God's word. Is by having a biblical mindset of the world. That's how we can make sense of all the madness that we're going through. We had a panel discussion and, and I think it was Ray when asked him, what do you think about this whole pandemic and stuff? And he says, well, I, 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 I wasn't surprised because that's what the word tells us was going to happen. And so as you, as you spend time in the word of God, you know exactly the things that are to come. You're not surprised. It doesn't catch you by surprise. So those that didn't believe, or because of the strong statement, because think about it, someone says, I am the light of the world. You're looking at them like, what? They fell out of faith. And, 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 and right away their rebuttal was, we're Abraham's descendants. We're, 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 we're not your descendants. We're not your father, whoever your father's descendants are. We're Abraham's descendants. And even though the Jews had been given over, we know right through, through the Old Testament to many nations, in their hearts, they had never lost their freedom. But Jesus wasn't talking about physical slavery. He was talking about another slavery, and that's spiritual slavery. It's funny that we're dealing a lot right now. We're in the days right now where we're dealing with the whole topic of, of, of racism, of slavery, of things like that, because of the, 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 the pains and the errors that we committed in the past. But we're not spending enough time talking about the real threat, the real reason why we're in madness. Because we're, we're, this world is still enslaved to sin. There's a spiritual slave that is still working. The, the, the time is short. And so as you see more and more madness happening. It's because you know, the pressure is on. He's working. And so Jesus, Jesus told the Pharisees. Who claimed to be you know, uh, um, holy. Holy who claim to be above par, who claim to, to, to walk a different way. G. Campbell Morgan says, real spiritual relationship with God will always bring forth works like the works of God. And so their works, their heart was proving them wrong. He told them. He says, well, I do what I have seen my father do. You do what you see your father do. Jesus, we know, was referring to the devil, their father, the devil. And they replied, not knowing really what Jesus meant, Abraham is our father. And that's in John chapter 8 when Jesus counted with a dagger. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham didn't do this, Jesus told them. You do the deeds of your father, again, referring to the devil. And then Jesus told them something that flabbergasted them. Beginning in John 8, 5, 6, he told them, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. What was Jesus saying? Basically, he was saying that Abraham was able to look forward to the day of Jesus. Abraham was a true disciple, was a true follower of God. And so he was able to look at the scripture and see the day that the Messiah was coming. He rejoiced. He wasn't holding on to any power or any prestige that God had given him through the calling he had given him. He was simply looking forward to that day that the Savior would come and relieve the madness of the world. And so think about that. He told them, he says, Your father, who you claim to be your father, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw and he was glad, but you are trying to kill me. They mockingly replied, you're not even 50 years old yet. Which some commentators said that's an interesting topic because we know that Jesus, his ministry started when he was 30 and it ended when he was 33. And so we don't know if... If this is referring to the fact that maybe Jesus looked like he was 50, but it does say something about the trials and the tribulation of life and how it ages you and how, how, how feeling, you know, the, the, the weight of sin, which he, which he was already feeling when he came. He knew what he was going to do, weighed heavenly on him and perhaps caused him to look a little older. You know, we see these pictures of Jesus and we see him smooth-skinned blue eyes I doubt that's the way he looked we know that's not the way he looked he probably looked wrinkled he probably looked dark because of the sun he probably looked beat up because of the weight that he was carrying that he knew he was going to have to face and so you know when Jesus makes this amazing proclamation I am seven times in the gospel of John Jesus claims to be the great I am in John four twenty-six, and John six twenty, here in John 8 24. He says it in verse 28 and verse 58. In verse 13, 19 of John. In John chapter 18, 5, he says, I am. Every one of those contexts, of the I am reinforces the deity of Jesus. And every one of those contexts that he said, it kept growing and growing and growing. He was proclaiming who he was and what he claimed to do. You know, growing up, some of you guys might remember that there was a show in the 80s called Different Strokes. You guys are old enough to remember that show? Those of you who remember, Arnold, played by Gary Coleman, had a famous line which he would say, What you talking about, Willis? Remember that? And that's what I picture the Pharisees looking at Jesus when he says, I, I, Before your father, Abraham, I was. They, 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 they didn't get it. And then all of a sudden the anger started to build up. I love the fact that he wasn't shy or meek because we know Jesus to be meek. Remember, meek isn't weak. Meekness is power under control. He, he, he wasn't shy to confront malice. He wasn't shy to call out when something was wrong. His heart was that he would see repentance, even though he didn't see repentance. He called a spade a spade. The gloves her off, so to speak. He didn't say, before Abraham I was. He said, before Abraham I am. He, he was saying, I'm God. There's no denying what he meant. The Jews knew. That's why we're told at the end of chapter 8 that they picked up stones to throw at him. In other words, they wanted to kill him, right? But it wasn't his time. The the Gospel of John will will, will show us that, that Jesus was always on the timeline of the Father. It reminds us that we're on that timeline of the Father that we're to be careful, that we're to be prudent, just as we've been saying, especially with this pandemic, but that we to know, we're to know that we are on this timeline, that you know, we're not going to go one day before or one day after. He wants us to go be with Him. And so Jesus knew He was on the timeline. Because He was on that timeline, He was able to get away. And, and actually, He tells us in, in John chapter 8 at the end, that He went right by them. And so with all that in your memory bank, with the world's longest introduction known to man, we turn to John chapter 9, as we endeavor to see life through God's eyes. It's a simple and catchy statement, but really it's impossible to do in our own strength. We can't do it. We can't, because our flesh is going to want to see things the way we want to see them. that's why the proverb says, lean not on, on your own understanding. Even though it's difficult, even though it's going to be hard in our own strength, we have to remember that whenever God calls us to be a certain way or live a certain way, he's always going to give us the ability. He's always going to equip us to be able to do it. That's what it says in Second Peter, in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so verse 1 of John chapter 9 says, with all that that I just mentioned in your memory bank, now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. It's interesting that it says, as he passed by. Have you ever been chased? Tell the truth. <laughs> Tell the truth. Shame the devil, like they say, right? Uh, I have. I've been chased, you know, to, you know, a time or two in my life. And i noticed that those times that I was chased, that I became an Olympic-quality sprinter, You know, it takes me two hours to run a mile, but boy, during those rare times that I was chased, I ran that mile in under three and a half minutes, man, record time. And yet, guys, even though Jesus was on the verge of being stoned, think of yourself if you've ever been in that type of situation, maybe in your youth. You didn't get the sense of panic. When I read, you know, this section here that said he was passing by, I don't picture Jesus sprinting. I don't, I don't picture Jesus running, thinking of himself only. In fact, it says that he took the time enough to notice a blind man. A man who had been that way since birth. This is the only time in the Bible that Jesus heals a man that had been like that at birth or from birth. Which brings up some interesting things that we'll talk about. Jesus' compassion should amaze us. Jesus' compassion should serve as as a teacher to us. He had all the excuse in the world to simply bypass that man, but he didn't. He didn't bypass him. He noticed. He saw. You want to see life through God's eyes? Slow down. Take time to see people. Especially those ones that are out might not be able to, do, to to have everything in your power to help them, but you can certainly stop and pray. You can certainly have compassion. You can certainly talk to them. You can certainly offer them some water. You can offer them something. Take the time like Jesus did. It says in verse 7 that his disciples, I think, noticed that he was looking at this blind man. It says, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You might have seen, uh, I feel so bad for the graduates. I have a, a, a graduate in my house. My son, Max, just graduated from high school. And he's, he's homeschooled, so he doesn't get out. And then on top of this, he's quarantined. And so he can't really even celebrate his, his, his graduation. We're praying about doing something small for him. But um, you might have noticed a lot of cars driving around with like, things and signs and stuff like that, congratulating and trying you know, to do their best family members to encourage. You know, uh, the, the graduates, especially this year, it's been a bummer. And I saw the, the sign the other day that really blessed me. It, it was a car by my house that had the right, and instead of seeing the disabilities, see the abilities. I, you know, when I see a trial, when I see an injustice, when I see a misfortune, I focus on my disability right away. And when I do that, it allows me to give reason. It allows me to, to, to set up these, why I can't do that, why I can't help, why I can't show compassion, why I can't do the things that I think God is calling me to do. I look at my disability instead of looking at the ability because I feel helpless. Maybe some of you can, 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 can know what I'm talking about. I, I start getting philosophical. Well, Lord, how did this happen? Lord, maybe they're, they're there in that condition because they put themselves there not knowing their story, not knowing why they're there, not knowing if, and did, if indeed they did turn to whatever it is that got them there, what, what caused that? What's their pain? And, and so you start getting philosophical and that's what I see here happen with the disciples. Instead of seeing this man through the eyes of Jesus, they saw this man through their own eyes and they just they, they started you know, trying to be philosophical. What happened here? Did this man sin or did his parents sin? Now, this man sin, well, that's interesting because it says that he was was born that way. He was born blind. The Jews taught something interesting. They thought that the soul of a baby, while the baby's in the womb, that he had the ability to sin. It's crazy. We know that to be true. We also know that the scripture tells us that God won't visit the children for the sins of the father. Third thing we know, right, is that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. It don't matter. If that's the case, we should all be walking around with some disability. And in all reality, we all have the disability. It's called sin, which prohibits us, which stops us, which hinders us from being the people that God has called us to be, from being the people that are conscious tells us we should be there's a fight there's a war because of this disability look at Jesus' response in verses 3 to 5 Jesus answered neither this man nor his parents sinned but that the works of God should be revealed in him verse 4 I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day the night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world again I am the light of the world. Now, some some scholars, some theologians, some people a lot smarter than I am, pastors are convinced that there was a, a grammatical error in this verse 3. They believe that that the translators, when they're putting the commas and the periods and things like that, which help us, right? Because that wasn't in the original text. To, to, to read it could have made a better choice. They, they believe that That where it says, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin. There should be a period there instead of a comma. Now read it that way. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sin. Period. Pause. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. When you read it with a comma, there's almost like a continuation, which can can confuse some readers to say that somehow, Jesus or God set this up to show his mightiness to show his goodness we know that that's not god it's god that's not how god operates right in other words it's not saying that god pre-planned this for for it to happen in order to show his work no we know that the scripture tells us right that, that all have sinned romans 323 uh, the romans wrote to salvation tells us for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of Romans three nine. What then? It asks. Are we better than they? No, not all. For we have all previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Galatians three twenty three. But the scriptures confide all under sin, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might give, be given to those who believe. All means all. We know that we all struggle with this because because we live in a fallen world with, with fallen bodies. Uh, we're going to go undergo trials. We're going to undergo tribulations. Why, why does a, a beautiful 16-year-old girl get cancer and die? Why does a beautiful little boy who has so much promise ahead of him get sick and die? Why does a, a godly woman who serves in the children's ministry and loves the children get cancer? We don't know the answers to that. All we know is that God is good. All we know is that we've been promised a better place. That, 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 that just because this is all we know to be good doesn't mean that what's to follow, which the Bible puts in this amazing way, is a hundred billion times better than we have. We just don't know. And so we ask the question, we get philosophical, why, why? Why? It's interesting that that Jesus, I think, strategically avoided this topic. He didn't want to explain the mystery of evil at this time. Jesus didn't come to make us problem-free, folks. I think we figured that out by now, huh? He came to remove the cause of the problem. He came to pay for the outcome of the problem. G. Campbell Morgan again wrote, Blindness from birth is not the will of God for any man, but the mission of Christ was not the solving of the problem, but that of the removing of the disability which created the problem. John didn't describe Jesus as a Lamb of God who makes problems better. He described Jesus as a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes the penalty of sin upon himself. Now, by his grace, he intervenes. He's intervening in a lot of our lives. And therefore, we shouldn't stop asking and praying until he tells us his will. Like he told Paul, Paul prayed three times, remove this trial from me. Remove this trial from me. Lord, please remove this thorn. And then eventually God replied. What did he say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9? Paul says, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And look at Paul's response. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. That was an amazing individual. But Christ fulfilled his mission. Let's not forget that. How did he do that, Christians? By Again, taking the penalty upon himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that, huh? It tells us the fact that for he made him, the Father made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. He became sin for us. So that what? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy understatement to say that this year has been crazy. It, and, and, and who knows what's, what's before us, guys. I mean, if we're following the timeline, things aren't going to get better. We pray, and we continue to pray, and we continue to seek the Lord. But we have to be ready. We have to be ready knowing that our, 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 our hope is so much more than, than this, this place that we call her. Greg Laurie, when all this madness started breaking out, um, he said that, that he knew that a lot of people were asking why. Why, Lord? And, and, and he said, I understand that, but, but a better question that we should be asking is Who? Who do we turn to during this time of madness? And, and I would say in reading this section that we should also ask after we ask who and we get the answer. What do you want me to do, Lord? What can I do? Don't go above and beyond what God has called you to do. Just seek the Lord and ask him and he'll show you. He's faithful to do that. The second part of Jesus' response in verses 4 to 5, he says, I must work the works of him. Uh, some translations have, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day he says a night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world I am the light of the world it's interesting because Jesus had an urgency nothing came as a surprise to Jesus he knew, he knew the timeline, he knew and yet this urgency that he had for his time here on earth none of us know how I mean, with all the stuff that's gone on, man, that should be one thing that we should know without a shadow of a doubt. We don't know what could happen a minute from now. We don't know what could happen tomorrow. We could be healthy one day, waking up, breathing, and all of a sudden the next day, be on a life support machine. That's the reality that we live in right now. We could be out in the streets, and, and because, because someone's vengeance, you get shot, you get killed. we don't know and so we have to have that same urgency that jesus displayed here it's an example to us notice he says i must it reminds me of the walk that we took when we went to israel one of the the two most powerful moments when we went to israel three i would say swimming in the sea of galilee i'm not trying to boast i'm just trying to promote israel 2021 all right uh swimming in the sea of galilee that was amazing especially with sergio because he was going underneath the water and touching tourists ankles scaring them um Two is, is being in the Garden of Gethsemane, how powerful that was. But three is, is that walk that, that we walked um, called the, the Via Dolorosa. And Via Dolorosa literally means the sorrowful way. And it's, it's that, that route in Jerusalem which our Lord traveled on the day of his crucifixion from the, the judgment seat when he met with Pilate to the place of his crucifixion up on Calvary. And it was interesting, guys, because we were told by our guide, we were told by our pastor, look, this is a solemn walk. We don't want you guys talking to each other. We just want you focused. We want you to be thinking about what this walk represented. And it hit me, you know, I thought, Jesus, you walked this path for me. You did it not, not kicking and screaming. Though you were bleeding and hurting, you did it willingly. And I think that you even did it joyfully. You know, that Good Friday is known as the Passion of Christ. And that was the day that he was crucified. Jesus from the cross proclaimed, My work is finished. It is done. It is finished, he said, to tell us that. In John 4.34, Jesus said to so my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Imagine that was a substance. We can't wait to get out of here to go to in and out That was a substance. To do the will of the Father. To do the work that God had called them to do. Can you imagine one day finishing your race and Jesus looking at your heart saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I know some of you might be uncomfortable with that and you might even say in your heart, but Lord, I haven't done much. But remember what follows. Jesus doesn't say you're right, but because you've been faithful over a few things, over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. God, I hope that we all hear that, huh? I hope that we all hear that. Because we've been redeemed, we should be redeemers. Ephesians 5, 16 tells us that we're to redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, it tells us that we're to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Again, redeeming the time. Jesus redeemed the time. He says, I must, I got to, while it is day. What is he talking about the fact that while it is day? He was talking about why he was here on earth. Day represented life, nighttime represented death. How much daytime do you have? How much daytime do I have? We don't know. Verse 5, interesting, Jesus says, As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Think about that statement again. He said it twice in John chapter 8. I was thinking about that. You ever wonder what would happen if visible light would cease to exist? Those of you that are into science and stuff like that, I'm not. I needed to call Aaron or or Sean to get the answer. But I, I, I researched it and, and I know some of you, you know, might think, Well nothing, you know, I turn off the lights in my house, pitch dark at night every night, and you know, I might stumble and, and hit my, my, my shin, you know, here and there, but that's it, right? But if visible light were to stop just for ten seconds, we would cease to exist. See, there's more than just the light bulb, there's more than just the electricity, there's microwaves, there's ultra ultra waves, right? Ultraviolet. Every visible thing emits light. Even those controversial things that, that, that they don't claim emits light take in light. So if life, visible light, were to stop just for ten seconds, we would all be blind? And we would freeze. So now just picture that as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light. And now think of this world that we're living in without Jesus. Think of this world that we're living in as an antichrist to Jesus. Think of this world where the church, a lot of the church is being pressured to follow organizations because of guilt or because a profit, to go along with organizations that, that have nothing to do with God. That's what happens when Jesus is not in the world. Bodhi uh, Bachman um, did a, a DVD that uh, encouraged my wife uh, and I to homeschool. When I say my wife and I, it's her, because I'm, I'm not there. But encouraged her to homeschool. And, and I'm not saying this to, to, to shame you into anything. God has to lead. But he said, don't be surprised if you send your kids to Caesar and they come back Romans. We have to teach our kids, we have to unteach our kids some of the things that they learn in the world. We have to talk to them, we've got to pour into them. John uh, chapter one verses four and five. It says, "In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it." Light repels against darkness. Light really should make darkness disappears, but if darkness doesn't want it, it's not going to force itself on it. In verses six through seven, says, "We we we had since these things." When he said these things, excuse me, he sped on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind with the clay. And he said to them, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated "Sent." So he went and washed and came back seen. This is interesting. Because Jesus, Jesus chose an unconventional way of healing. Huh? Other times we saw that he touched. Other times we saw that he just said. And people were healed. But, but this one... Um, maybe because it was a Sabbath, man, and he wanted to turn the, the screws on the religious leaders. But but he did something different. He he did something kind of gross. He spat. And, and those of you, you know, when you were little and you used to make mud pies with spit, you had to have a lot of saliva to make a mud pie, huh? It was it was gross. The blind man didn't care because he couldn't see, but the disciples saw, and they must have been chirpy now. But notice he told the blind man, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And it tells us that the, the 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 word Siloam is translated sent. And it's just interesting because he's the sent. He was the one sent. And now he's sending this beggar to go and wash in this pool. Now, did the mud pie heal him? Did the pool heal him? No, Jesus did. Jesus is the pool. Jesus is that mud. You know, when, when we pray, when, when someone prays for us, we don't give credit to that individual. When, when when a surgeon operates on us, we don't go and send the scalpel flowers. We thank the doctor, we thank the surgeon. And that's what we should do. It says in verses 8 through 12, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others says, he's like him. He says, I'm he. Therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes open? In verse 11, he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I washed and I received sight. And they said, okay, well, where is he? He said, I don't know. Now, I've heard it said, by many people that people will argue and and some of you might have been in positions like that they'll argue the bible all day long you'll tell them things and they'll have a a counter argument i used to be like that i had a brother-in-law who was uh witnessing to me and he he was called me and he told me about the goodness of god and about the gospel and i said well yeah but what do you say about the old testament how it says that you know god told the israelites to go and, and and take out entire nations and you know my my brother in law you know he he was new in the faith as well, but he did the right thing. You know what he did he said i don 't know, but I know Jesus is good. sometimes we shy away from having these debates because we feel like we don 't have these theological answers we don 't have these this, this, these years of of a Bible behind us. Guess what? The most simplest answers are the best. Pastor Chuck I once told the story of a little girl who was a missionary and was ambushed by, by these people who were anti-God. And they came and they said, you need to tell us why it is that you're placing your faith in this Jesus of yours or refute him. She didn't know the answer. All she kept repeating is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Sometimes the, the simplest answers are, are, are the best. And that's what I see with this, this dude, man. Notice he starts off by calling Jesus a man. A man named Jesus. That's all I know. He told me to go do something. I did it by faith and here I am. Restored. People will will argue um, theological arguments all day long. But one of the things that they could never refute. Is a changed life. So you shouldn't be hidden You know, Christians. You shouldn't be undercover Christians. Some of us are undercover Christians because we know we're living lives we shouldn't live. But those of you that that are trying to follow God, you're not perfect and you're not going to be on this side of time. And so show yourself, reveal yourself. You don't have the answers, it's okay. Tell them what you know. They cannot refute a changed life, especially those family members that know you, who knew you from the past. Especially those friends, man, who did things with you, man. Who were in those chases with you back in the days, right? They can't refute it. And so live it out in front of them. As the neighbors are debating, was this him? Some said, it can't be. Some say, yeah, that's him. I just picture the beggar jumping up and down. I think he's a short guy. Jumping up and down saying, it's me, it's me. (laughs) It's really me. We have to have a heart. We have to share our testimony with people. We have to live our testimony. I read a quote that said, Keep changing. When you're through changing, you're through. And I like that because I don't know know, what the author meant, but the way I interpret it is, Be open to God changing you because if you do when you're through changing, you've passed through to heaven where you no longer need to change, where you now are perfect. And so they asked the beggar, Tell us what happened to you. Verse 10. He said, A man called jesus made clay and anointed my eyes he gave me instructions i followed here we are and i just think there's a sweet innocence in someone who is new in christ almost childlike and we should try our hardest to stay there you know you see these new christians that are on fire from the lord but all of a sudden man time goes by and they just they know more but they just they do less and i think we need to stay childlike that's why jesus says you need to have the faith of a child what happened to you, Jesus? Jesus, he tells me what to do, and by his grace, he helps me when I fall, and he encourages me to keep going. That's all we need to know. Even though where he, where, where's the act question that they asked him, he says, "I don't know. I love it. Uh, I love it," because he had innocence, sir. Uh, Worston uh, Church. I hope it's okay in this political uh, times that we're living to say his name i'm not really sure of his background but he said all great things are simple and many can be expressed by single words freedom justice honor duty mercy hope grace you want to see life through god's eyes learn to keep it simple verse 13 to 17 they brought him who formerly was blind to the pharisees now we see the pharisees now it was a sabbath when jesus made the clay and he opened his eyes Jesus did this a lot, guys. A lot. It seems like he he was almost like looking at the calendars. Okay, it's a Sabbath. I'm going to go do something today. Just to get under their skin. The Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clays on my eyes and washed and now I see or I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how could a man who's a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. That was a problem for them. Verse 17, they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said he's a prophet. Started off with he's a man called Jesus. Now he's moved up to he's a prophet. Something's happening in this man's life. God is working in this man's life. And and know that. Know that God will continue to build upon your life. He's going to continue to work. The Bible says that he is faithful to continue the work until the end. We just have to wait on Jesus as we sang earlier. And so this man is now brought forth before the Pharisees. Much different tone than talking to his neighbors, right? The people on the streets. were told that it was a Sabbath. Um, and again, and Jesus did this a lot. In verse 18 through 23 says, But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. Until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him, he will speak for himself. Now we know the reason. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He's of age ask it. This year we lost Ravi Zacharias, a brilliant man who once was quoted as saying, a man rejects God neither because of his intellectual demands nor because of the scarcity of evidence. A man rejects God because of a moral resistance that refuses to admit his need for God. They saw right in front of them a miracle. They saw the sign and yet they refused. Yet they wanted to get the answer that they were looking for because of fear of losing all their identity, the parents succumb to fear and, and and I kind of understand think about it like like if this would never happen, but if I came to you and say andrew i 'm sorry, man, you just can 't come here anymore sorry i 'm just kidding. He would say, "All right, you know it would hurt, but did it, the church down the street for the Jews, it was totally different. it was their way of life. If they were excommunicated from the temple, from the synagogue. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't relate. They couldn't do business. They couldn't walk through as a shortcut to get to the other side through the temple. They were excommunicated. It was life over for them. And so you can understand. But we have to be careful with fear, huh? I mean, I'm so proud of you guys, man. There's a lot of people that aren't here um, because some of them legitimately, God says, no, you shouldn't be here. But others aren't here because of fear. And so we, we can't let fear dictate us. Psalm 27, 1. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? That's, whom shall I fear? Since he is the Lord and my light and my salvation. The Lord is my strength of my life. From whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. And Proverbs 29, 25 reminds us that fear is a snare. It's a trap. Right? It'll handicap us. What did, what did Jesus say in Luke 12 to his friends? He said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. He said, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The only one that we should fear is God. In fact, there's there's an added benefit because the Proverbs tell us that the beginning of wisdom starts with the fear of God. You shouldn't fear anyone else. It's a saying, if you fear God, you will fear no one else. If you don't fear God, you will fear everyone else. And so verses 24 through 33, so they again called the man who was blind. Again, they brought him and said to him, give God the glory. In essence, what they were saying is, put your hand on the Bible. Tell the truth. We know that this man is a sinner. You notice know They were already going in. They wanted to get a certain answer from him. But look at his answer in verse 25. He answered and said whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know again. I don't have to go above and beyond what we don't know. This man says, I don't know. I can't answer your theological questions. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Verse 26, and they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open up your eyes? It's not the act. It's the person. It's not a program. It's the person of Jesus Christ, guys. We're not here, you know, uh, on a Sunday morning, Because it's the place to be. We're here because of the person of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We come back to church when we can. Those of you that are listening on live stream. Because of what God has done for us. And because he's given us the church. To be able to bear the burdens that we're all facing together. Verse 27 he answered them. After they said Look, you need to tell us. He started almost getting frustrated. And through frustration comes sarcasm. Huh? I told you already. And you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it the 10th time? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He got bold. They reviled him. Verse 28. And said you are his disciple. But we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow... We don't know where he's from. Verse 30. The man answered and said to them. Why this is marvelous. This is a marvelous thing. That you don't know where he's from. Yet he, he I stand before you. He's opened my eyes. This, this is a hard one. That he gave right back to him. Now we know that God doesn't hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God. And does his will. He hears them. Since. The world began, it's been unheard of anyone opening the eyes of one who was born blind. Notice how this man went from this man, Jesus, he's a prophet, to all of a sudden he was was preaching, man. He was proclaiming. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. That was a division within the Pharisees. And so they brought him back for a second inquiry. They asked him, give God the glory. Tell us what you already told us ten times about Jesus Some won't hear what you have to say until you agree with what they want you to say and the Bible tells us that you know sometimes we don't cast our, our pearls on swine sometimes we need to have the wisdom to say you know what I'm, I'm letting go God will tell you when it's that, that takes place I love this man's response again because it's simple I don't know all that much all I know is that I was blind but now I see He says, I know that God doesn't hear sinners as if it's insinuating that's you. Listen, Jesus has done things that are unheard of. And he wouldn't be able to do it if he wasn't from God. He wouldn't be able to do it if he wasn't God. He wouldn't say the things that he said. C.S. Lewis has this famous line, that the three L's, that either Jesus is a lunatic, he's a liar, or he's Lord. He's Lord. He didn't leave it until, you know, up to interpretation. He didn't leave it gray. He didn't leave it so that we could say, well, he was just a nice Jewish man. He was a healer of the time. He was one of the prophets. No, he, he, he without a doubt, he says, I am God. I am the light of the world. So because it wasn't exactly what they were looking for, they pressed. They pressed and they pressed and they pressed until finally this guy was like, man, enough, think about it. This guy was blind all his life. Don't you think if you were blind all your life, the day that you were given sight, the last thing that you wanted to do was be before these dudes? I'll go and see the flowers, look at the sky, look at the mountains, swim in the ocean, look at the faces of his parents. No, this guy was stuck in there answering the same question over and over again. he got frustrated. Get me out of here. How many times do I have to tell you his wish will come true soon? Verses 28 and 29, the Pharisees uh, and anyone who denies Jesus make their choices. They said, we're not a follower. We're not disciples of Jesus. We're disciples of Moses. In John 5, 45 through 47, Jesus says something interesting. He says, do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Guess who that is? Moses. Moses, who brought the law. In whom you trust. For if you believe Moses. You would believe me. For he wrote about me. But you don't believe his writings. How will you believe my words? Now we've all heard right. If you violate one law. You violate a law. There's a term in basketball. If you live by the three pointer. You die by the three pointer. If you live by the law. You'll die by the law. We should know better. That we should not want Justice. That what we're seeking for is mercy. That what we should desire from God is grace. The Pharisees, man, they, they, they made their own bed right here. People do that all the time when they reject Jesus. Verse 34, they answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us? And they cast them out. And I would say this, sometimes those most hurtful moments of great pain are blessings in disguise. This man had been excommunicated from all the privileges that he knew. The temple and all that the temple brought him. Isaiah 65.5 tells us how God feels about people like this. He says, Keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. And then it says, These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. We have to be careful. If we want to see life through God's eyes, we have to be careful that we don't become Pharisees that we don't become like the Pharisees. That can sneak in, guys. It can sneak in. I've seen it sneak in, trying to sneak into my life. And you have, to, you have to guard yourself against that. In all reality, this man had received much more than just his physical sight, huh? He, he was getting a spiritual sight. He was growing more and more. You know, we have people who have been ousted from, from churches. We have people that come and say they used to go to a Jehovah Witness congregation. We have people that tell us we used to be in the Mormon you know, church, if you want to call it that, or some other unhealthy churches. And they tell us about something that happened. They ousted them. They, they, they got legalistic on them, and, and they drove them away, and, and the Lord drew them here. to little Cabaret Chapel of Wine. He tucked away in a shopping center. But they're blessed. Not that we're a perfect church. We're nothing special. We're simple guys. But God's word is taught here. And I believe that there's love that is displayed here by all of you. Starting from our pastor down. And that is what true fellowship is. That's what true blessing is. The word of God is taught here. We, we, pastor Chuck taught the pastors that we're to honor God's word. Just as the word says that he honors his word above his name. And so now they see the most painful moment in their life as as a blessing in disguise. And that's what happened to this man. He was excommunicated from this dead church into the arms of the living God. Notice Jesus wasn't far away when he was excommunicated. Verse 35, 38, Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Blind mind attitude, man. I love that. This attitude that this man explained. Who is he? Show me. It reminds me of of what happened with Jesus and the woman on the well, huh? In John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming was called christ when he comes he will tell us all things she like abraham was looking forward to that day and what was jesus's response to her jesus said to her i who speak to you am he and what did she do she ran she told everybody she worshiped in spirit and in truth proverbs 34 is an interesting proverb it asks the question who has ascended into heaven or descended who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And then it says, this is Bob's favorite proverb. And what is his son's name? If you know. What is it talking about here? What is he talking about, Willis? It's talking about Christ. And that's the question we all have to answer. Do you know him? Do you know his name? I love uh, John 3.16. It's one of those universal verses that we all know, right? But the surrounding verses are really cool. Let me read them to you. John 3.15 through 18, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that what, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then verse 17 says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The blind man believed, he worshipped. And you know that word simp- worship isn't simply paying homage, it's a word that speaks of the attitude of the soul and the presence of God. I see that in some of you as you're worshipping. It's worshiping in spirit and truth like Jesus told the woman in the well. An excommunicated man was sent out again from a church that was dead into a church that was living. In verses 39 through 41, I believe that Jesus sees the heart. I believe God can see in our heart. He knows when someone is genuine or when they're not. Jesus finds those that are looking for him. All we have to do is incline one inch to him, guys. And he'll come like the like the, the the prodigal, the father of the prodigal. And he saw his son from far off and he ran to him. Didn't wait, didn't wait for the son to beg, to say sorry, he just ran to him. It says in verse 39, and Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not may see, that those who do not may see, and that those who may see may be blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him what you talking about with us? No, he says, are we blind also? They kind of knew that he was talking about them, huh? and Jesus turned on them. He said, No. He says, if you were blind, you would never, you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. It's interesting. The Pharisees were they were so blind they tripped over each other, and yet they didn't even know. This is a warning to us, guys. Uh, religion, a ceremony, tradition has its attractiveness. Has its 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 pull, but in the end, it it makes you blind. It's it's not about a program. It's about a person. Remember, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In closing, in light of that verse where Jesus says, "Hey, I came to give uh, eyesight to those who are blind and those who think they see, I'm going to give them blindness." John Corson told the story of a of a, an accident that happened in a mine. And he said weeks after the rescuers went into the mine, um, you know, they went in there and they, and they discovered, you know, some survivors in there. And they went in with lanterns because, as you could imagine, it was pitch dark in this, this collapsed mine. And as they went in there and they, they saw some of the, the survivors, they, they discovered something unfortunate. Some of them saw them and were happy and were rejoicing and others just heard them and they said, turn on the light. Turn on the light. And they had walked in with lanterns. What does that mean? It means that when you're blind, you can't see the light. These Pharisees, man, they were blind. And the light had been in their presence and they couldn't see it. And I want to encourage you, man. You know, see this life through God's eyes. See this life through the way Jesus looked, with compassion. See this life the way Jesus looked, with urgency. See this life the way Jesus looked, attacking the malice, going after. See this life the way the beggar displays it, simple. Giving his testimony. Not knowing much, but saying, all I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and pray. We're going to have one. Daniel going to come up and do one more song, and then you'll be dismissed. Again, it's a blessing to see you. You don't know. I'm tempted to look that way because if you guys were watching live stream, we were all just faced that way most of the time because we're looking at that camera. It's such a blessing to be able to look forward and see people and see faces, to see some of the faces we haven't seen in a while. uh, That's such a blessing. You don't know how much of an encouragement it is to our pastor and to us. So uh, we're blessed that you're here. Let's pray.